Welcome back to the Middle of Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. Hey, Peter. Have you checked hey, out any Eden. you checked out anything exciting in pop culture in the last couple of weeks? You uh you got anything you'd like to share? Yes. The new Neo Bliviscaris album is so good. Oh it's my out. gosh. I mean it's out. It dropped last Friday. However, as a Patreon supporter of theirs, they had worked with their record label and their record label allowed them to release it Tuesday to through Bandcamp to all of their Patreon supporters. So I got it Tuesday and I started listening to it and I kept listening to it. And then it came out on Friday officially and I kept listening to it. And then my vinyl came, yes, no, let's see, today's Thursday, my vinyl came Tuesday, and the collector's edition DVD, and I keep listening to it, and I really, really like it. Well, that's exciting. Is it, uh... It is. It's ex- Has it, has it, um, supplanted that first album of theirs as your favorite, or are you still holding fast that your first is that favorite? Um... I don't know about favorite yet. However, I do think it is a better album by a significant margin. Okay. The first album, Portal of Eye, is a collection of seven really, really good songs. But it also gets a little long in the tooth because it's seven songs that are all at least 10 minutes or longer. And so as a whole, that whole album... It's well over an hour. And sometimes I'm totally down with that. But there are other times where I like something to be a little bit tighter. And so Exel comes in at, I think, just over 50 minutes. And it feels like a more cohesive album instead of a collection of songs, which Portal of I really oh, okay. So this is very much, to me, it feels like, sorry, I had to cough. Um, It feels like, And really their last two albums, uh, Citadel and Urn, were the same in that they had really grown into the, well, let's write and record an album instead of here's a collection of songs. And, but I think this is by far the best. And, you know, tracks two and three, the two part uh, song Misericord are taken as a whole. I think really their best out, best song that they've ever written. And, Again, don't know if it's my favorite yet because I've had quite a few years uh, for for many of the tracks on Portal of Eye to really kind of get their, sink their hooks into me. But I would not be surprised if as time goes on, this does supplant that because it's that good. And I will say, you know, they got a new, uh, a newer bass player, um, Martino. He's from uh, Italy. He hasn't recorded an album. This is the first album he recorded with them. So when I saw them back in 2017, when they toured for their third album, Earn, he was playing with them at that time, but he had not recorded that album with them. They had hired kind of a session bassist who was I'm trying to remember who it was, but he'd at some point played with Cynic and, and things like that. Nice. Uh, but this is the first album with him, um, with Martino on there. And his, bla- his bass is, is delightful. I mean, it, it's prominent. It 
it, it is in some ways reminiscent of Getty Lee's base in that, you know, Getty Lee, one of the things that I always loved about him is that in so much of Rush's music, the guitar and the bass would kind of take turns carrying the song. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that the bass was just there supporting, but the bass often led. And and Martino's bass will do that on this, where there are sections of the song where you know, he's playing something that is really sort of contrapuntal to what the guitars are playing in such a way that it's just really engaging. And it's way more than just, oh, I'm just, you know, going along underneath, um, making it sound more full. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm driving the music forward by taking a little bit of the melody here and then handing it back to the guitar or to the violin. And, uh, as someone who, again, you know, Rush is, uh, even though, as I've said before, I don't listen to them that much. I love them. Absolutely. And if a Rush song is ever on, I will stop. I will listen to it and I will be, uh, I will be glad that I heard it. And a lot of that, because, because of that, I think that I've always had a real love for interesting bass guitar. And so uh, anytime I hear that, that sticks out to me. And I think this is by far out of all of their, their, their albums, this is the, this is the most interesting, most inventive, most expressive that the bass has ever been. And so that's just one, another one of those things that kind of elevates it for nice. Um, but yeah, it's great. I'm loving it. The, I will say, I know it's only been a week and a half or so, but the, uh, the shine has not worn off at all. And I just keep finding myself going back and listening to it, uh, again and again. And, I've been really loving it. Um, real briefly, one other album that I'll mention, because honestly, it's mostly been music for me the last couple of weeks, uh, is the new album uh, from the band Shores of Null. Uh, they're pretty cool. It is, oh, how would I describe them? It's kind of doom. I'd say it's kind of doom, but it's like, I don't know, really, really melodic doom and while it can be sometimes slower uh, maybe a little more fast-paced than what you traditionally think of for doom metal and uh, i've really liked their previous um their previous three albums their album that came out in 2020 uh, this was actually these were written and were going to be recorded at the same time obviously 2020 through a monkey wrench into so many things but they decided to release their previous album and it's really just like one 38 minute track. And it's funny. I don't think it was written during the pandemic, but it has a line that just seemed so appropriate that it was kind of my anthem for 2020. And that line was repeated over and over throughout the song. Uh, Life is at war with us. <laughs> and I thought that that was appropriate. So I think that kind yeah. of puts you, that gives you an idea of, of what shores of null is doing. I mean, this most recent album is called the loss of beauty. Um, it's, it's good stuff. It has been, uh, it has been surprisingly holding its own having come out on the same day as the new Neoblivascaris. I certainly haven't listened to it as much, uh, but I have listened to it, uh, enough to know that it's a very good shores of null album. And one that again, uh, I'm excited. The, the vinyl is on the way and I will be excited to, put it on the turntable and listen to it inappropriately loudly. But, nice. Um, I guess the only other thing I'll briefly mention 
is that season three of Ted Lasso is out and I love Ted Lasso and I did watch the most recent episode last night. And for some reason it gave me a significant amount of anxiety. So who knows? <laughs> we'll see what's happening, but, uh, and I don't think it was necessarily Ted Lasso. I mean, there was certainly stuff in the episode to, to do that. I, a lot of it's just where I'm at personally right now, but, but that has been fun to have Ted Lasso back and again, have something to look forward to, uh, to watch once a week. But, uh, enough of that. How about you? What you been up to? Yeah. Um, well to start off, Listeners, dear listeners, I have to do some Foley work here in celebration of today, the 30th of March, 2023, Donald J. Trump has been indicted by the DA of Manhattan, so. (laughs) Yes, he has. Popping open a brewski to drink in celebration of his indictment. So, cheers. Uh, I don't know if that came up on the, I hope it showed up on the microphone, we'll see. Um, So that's exciting. Um, I've been listening to some music too. Um, I've really gone down a hole, um, with this band called Go Go Penguin, which is a, uh, jazz trio and okay. jazz trios can leave me really hot or cold. Um, it, some of them are really, really good. Like when a jazz trio is good, it is really, really good, but most of them are just terrible and boring. Um, but this group, Go Go Penguin, is hitting the same sort of place in my brain that the Esborn Svensson Trio used to, which was one of my all-time favorite jazz trios um, until Esborn Svensson died in a car crash. Uh, and that ended his trio oh, wow. pretty damn quick. So they didn't have any more music to put out. Uh, and I was just like, mm-hmm. I had kind of fallen off the... Uh, the wagon of of enjoying uh jazz trios but i stumbled onto this band go go penguin um and just kind of dove through their discography this uh last couple of weeks i'm really really enjoying it um their self-titled one specifically um from 2020 or 2018 2020 uh self-titled go go penguin very very good very cool if you want some really inventive instrumental music that uses piano drums and bass to be more than the sum of its parts so recommend it if you want some jazz some jazz trio um also uh i have been uh taking a bit of a break from the final fantasy games trying to uh rev up to play (laughs) some more um which exciting news they're all on sale right now so as soon as i get paid at the start of the month i gotta buy all of the back catalog i can so they're just ready for me um so thank you. They are on sale. I, I sat there. Uh, thanks to you. I at the very least looked through that whole page and thought, should I get any of these? In the end, I didn't. That's fair. But I thought about it. That's fair. Well, they were on sale at Steam. That sale ended. But the Humble Bundle sale is still going for another couple days. And I get paid on uh-huh. Saturday. And then it's time to scoop up some of them games. Um, I... That's that's not a hundred percent true. I am about two thirds of the way through Final Fantasy One. Um, it's not a whole lot to say about it. It is nice. a nineteen. It is a nineteen eighty seven uh, JRPG that came out for the Famicom system. So <laughs> I'm having fun yeah. with it, but there's not a whole lot to tell no, you about good. it. There are four warriors of light. They have tiny crystals. You have to go find the big crystals and touch the tiny crystal to the big crystal after you kill the bad guy standing in front of the big crystal. 
but it's interesting to see how all of uh, not all of many of the pieces of what is a final fantasy game are present from the very start here in this very first game even though it has a plot that could be summed up in a a sentence um but i'm having fun with it it's just something i like pick out a little bit at a time um but i have instead been playing house flipper a lot have you ever played house flipper (laughs) no i have not so i had played it years ago um but cassie my spouse is in a facebook group called moody maximalism which is specifically about like doing maximalism in your home decor and and in your spaces and that kind of stuff because that tends to be the kind of design um ethos that both Cass and i really like we're much more maximalists than we are minimalists we like eclectic you know full rooms as you can see if you ever see our house um and so she was in that group and she was like i want to do a project but we don't really have a project we can do right now and someone in that group had mentioned the game house flipper so she was like have you ever heard of this game and i was like yeah i have it on this i have it on my pc but i think it's available on switch do you want me to see and so it is so i bought it for her and she's been playing it and that made me feel like oh maybe i should maybe i should check it out and play it too So I have been playing House Flipper. Um, It's a very fun game. It is not as predatory and terrible as the name makes it sound. I'll say that up front. Um, But it's just a fun game where you like, there are a bunch of missions you can, not missions, jobs that you can do where like people hire you to like come do, like redesign certain rooms in their house or like clean their house and re like like demo some walls and put in some new walls all that sort of stuff and then eventually you get into the main loop of the game where you can buy houses do whatever you want with them and then you will have on the left side you'll see like different potential buyers and their their um interest or disinterest in the sorts of things that you're doing in the house like if you're painting it certain colors or you're you know knocking down walls to make bigger rooms or how many bathrooms did you put into the house how many bedrooms will like increase or decrease the interest that these potential buyers have in your property and then once you have it all done then you turn around and you try to sell it um, and make your money back i have yet to successfully make my money back because i apparently design (laughs) too cool two expensive houses that people don't want to spend more than I spent on them, but that's okay. I'll just go do some side jobs. I'm here to make my houses look cool and not be like a price gouger. Um, so I've been there playing house go. flipper. It's very fun. And then the last cool. thing I will mention is I don't think I talked about this last time. Did I talk about how Stellaris has a new, uh, a new expansion? No, you did not. Well, Stellaris has a new expansion friends. It is called first contact and has a bunch of basically the biggest thing it has is a bunch of new origins for your um space civilization um and i have i am about 150 200 years into my first game with this new expansion um and i tried one of the new the fun thing is is it's got some some new uh these new origins because i you know we've talked about stellaris a little bit before but just to recap it it is basically like a a a 4x game mixed with a grand strategy game where you start as a a civilization inhabiting one planet and then you go out into the stars meet the other members of the uh you know galactic community and try to uh try to find your way through you know 
expanding and 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 controlling space based on your ethics mm-hmm. and based on the the conflicts you can get in with your neighbors and things like that. And I tend to play this game as radical egalitarian societies because these are the sorts of things that interest me. These are the sorts of futures I like to imagine. Um, so even though it has a bunch of like, you know, fanatic xenophobes that want to kill all of the other species or like spiritualists who think that everyone needs to convert to their religion or whatever, I don't I don't care about any of that stuff. I play as fanatic egalitarianists and that is like it. I almost always use the like the shared burdens a civic, which is basically like the communist civic. There are not like certain populations that need more Uh, you know, luxury items in certain populations that need less luxury items because of a stratified society. Like everyone lives in the communal housing. Everyone like gets the same amount of materials and everyone has the same like levels of happiness that way. And then there's different jobs based on, you know, the specialty of the populations or whatever, but it's not like, Oh, well, you know, the specialist populations get paid more and have better housing and the, the blue collar workers get paid less. Anyway, that's how I always play this game regardless, but they have a new like origin that fits really well into the way that I usually play this game and gives you, it's really hard um, in comparison, like it is specifically listed as a very challenging uh, origin, but it's really, really cool because basically what it is, is you are formerly enslaved people and you have fought back against your oppressors and taken over the ship that you all were on, and it has crash-landed on this planet. And so you have to start much further behind than where you would normally start as a civilization in this game. Hmm. Because you don't have things like an already existing, you know, science vessel and construction vessel and small fleet of, of military ships. You have nothing when the game starts because you were slaves who rose up against your oppressors and took control. And the other wrinkle is because you are a series of like formerly enslaved people, you have like 12 to 14 species in your civilization as opposed to one or maybe two, depending on other origins that you can choose. So immediately you've got this huge population that is extremely diverse, has a ton of different like backgrounds, pluses and minuses to the different species, like different planets that they could better colonize, planets that they don't really like exist well on and like, you know, different, different, you know, species traits and all that sort of stuff. And so to marry that with this like hyper egalitarian society and then The other thing, the thing that I just recently got to in my playthrough, the space empire that enslaved you is out there somewhere. Ooh. So you're going to run into those guys. Nice. And then the question is, what are you going to do when you run into those guys? And I just ran into them, and I'm about ready to wreck their shit. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I don't think it's going to go very well for them, because I think I'm about twice as strong as they are, at least according to my espionage. Um. So I think I'm going to mess them up and set free. And by doing so, set free all of the slaves that they currently have in their empire because I will liberate their empire and set all of those people free. So these are the sorts of fun things you can do when you play Stellaris like a weird communist like I do. (laughs) But anyway, speaking about weird people who do weird things... Let's talk about. Just a second. I want to say one more thing really fast that oh, I forgot. Okay, about go for it. And then we'll talk games. about Roy Neary. <clears throat> G- 
because this is also weird. Um, ha- have you played the game High on Life? No, because it looked just uh, terrible to me. So, okay, it is. It I is. You're it. right. Your assumption was correct. During spring break, I was home. I had some time. I wanted to play a game. It was on sale on Humble Bundle. It was still way more than I should have paid for it. It was on Game Pass, bro. The well, I'm. Just, I guess I should have. I didn't look. You should. Here's the thing. You always got to check Game Pass first. It's on Game Pass. I almost played it too, even though it looks terrible. But it was free because it was on Game Pass. I forget about Game Pass on the PC. That's my problem. Ah. I, because it's a, because Game Pass on the PC is a fairly new thing. You I think forget of, about it. You think of Game Pass as an Xbox thing, and you're not going to play an FPS on an Correct. on, uh, on a controller. Not, we I'm talked not about a that monster. Before. I'm not a monster. Anyway, needless to say, I spent some money on it. I wish I could get that money back. Um, it has very positive reviews on Steam. Gamers are a bunch of pre-adolescent, uh, infantile, nittering morons. Because I don't know how much time I've put into it. Maybe 90 minutes over the course of like three or four sessions because it is so obnoxiously try hard humor. Like, like, look, I am by no means going to try and say that I am some highbrow erudite, sophisticated humor. Do, do I laugh when people fart? You better believe it. Cause it's freaking funny. But at the same time, this game feels like at every single moment somebody asked the question what is the lowest rent most obvious most lame joke we could make here and then they went for it yeah it sounds about right it's dumb it's dumb and it doesn't feel good as a shooter and it's dumb well so. i mean i took one look and saw that it was may like it was involved the dude who makes rick and morty and i was like nope i have tried that i think it's garbage i i know lots of people like that show it's not funny it's bad so of course his video game would also be bad i don't know anything about it other than that it's a thing and don't bother so i don't know i was i was just like well i want something fun and i want something kind of funny and i regret my decisions but on the flip side i will say very briefly that I have also been on my Steam Deck playing the game Kenna, Bridge of Spirits, and that is delightful. I've heard good things about Kenna. Yeah, it is a wonderful kind of third-person action game. Think, you know, your Assassin's Creed's, your things like that, done in this most delightful Pixar style. The animation, the characters, the environments are beautiful. It's fun. It's engaging. If you want to play a game... I'm going to say, go play Kenna, give your money to the developers who made Kenna and forget high on life, ignore it. I'm sad that I spent money on it. Well, thank you for that, that important public service announcement. Hey, you know, I'm here for the people. And the people appreciate your sacrifice. (laughs) Speaking of sacrifices. Sorry for that interrupt. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) 
I like it. There, I got two. I got two tortured uh, segues into this episode. <laughs> They're not that tortured. They're pretty dang good, if you ask me. <laughs> All right. So this week we are talking about the 1977 science fiction drama film *Close Encounters of the Third Kind*. Peter, had you ever seen this movie before? I had. I had seen it many, many years ago, and I. It was long enough ago that I only remembered a few moments and scenes, but I did not remember anything more than that. I was probably, gosh, six or seven, maybe at the oldest, younger than that, possibly. Uh, so see, I wouldn't even been there for that because I was, you were nope. seven when I was born. So if you saw it when you were like a mm-hmm. young kid, that's why I never saw it. Cause apparently our parents went to see it or watch it on TV before I was even born. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, had never seen it before, but I tend to like Spielberg okay as a filmmaker. There's a reason why he's the most successful filmmaker in the history of the world, um, and that's because he makes a good crowd pleaser most of the time. Um, but I had never seen this one. It was kind of a a big gap in my early uh, Spielberg knowledge, which is weird to me because I was obsessed with aliens when I was a kid. So I don't know how I never saw this film, but I had never seen this film. And I had seen it somewhere, like seen it referenced somewhere. And I was like, you know what I should do? I should watch that. But if I turn it into work for the podcast, then I'll really watch it instead of just say I should watch that. (laughs) So that's what we did. We watched Close Encounters (laughs) of the Third Kind. So before we talk about before we talk about our reaction to it, quick, like 40,000 feet summary. Aliens, they're real. Uh, and we meet him. That's the, that's the movie. There's a guy, his name is yeah. Roy. He is like a blue collar, like uh, ele- electrics worker. They get a bunch of phone calls cause the power goes out. He goes chasing down, trying to figure out what's up with the power it has a very strange happening with a UFO that, uh, flies over his truck and burns half of his face. And, he fly he like drives after it and is like trying to figure out what's going on goes home his wife is like what is going on and he try he tells her everything she doesn't really believe him he gets fired from his job and he is obsessed over this like image in his brain of like a mountain at the same time there's this little kid named Barry who keeps running out of his house uh after the aliens as well eventually he gets you know, abducted by the aliens and his mother is, you know, obviously distraught at this. And she had met Roy because of him chasing the aliens earlier. Eventually Roy like is just on the edge of, of mental breakdown, trying to figure out this, this image that's in his head. And he sees on TV, a picture of devil's tower and sees this organ, this they're saying that there's been like a chemical spill uh, and so people need to evacuate and he realizes this is a government cover-up and he needs to go out there and guess what he's right it is a government cover-up because the government has found all of this evidence of these aliens and is trying to figure out uh how to get in contact with them and they are receiving a latitude and longitude that is of this place this devil's tower in wyoming so roy like drives out there meets ronnie out there uh, or not Ronnie, uh, meets uh, Jillian, who is uh, Barry's uh, mom out there. They, you know, escape from government 
uh, custody, climb up the mountain, find this like big arena essentially that they have built to try to communicate with the aliens. The alien ships appear. They use music to communicate with them. The mothership appears. All of the people who've been abducted over the last decades come out of it. Um, and they're not, they have not aged at all. Barry comes out and is reunited with his mom. Roy is included in its group in the group of potential visitors because the French scientist who's there realizes that he has had some sort of connection with these beings and that aliens come off the ship. They select Roy to be humanity's representative. Roy enters the mothership and then it flies into space and the movie's over. That is, that is correct. That is, those are all things that happen in this movie. So Peter, what did you think about this movie? (laughs) I think I wrote down at least three times. I couldn't tell. Was I tripping balls or was I in the middle of a fever dream? Or was it a little of column A and a little of column B? This is a weird freaking movie. It's so fucking cool though. Oh man. I had it such a so weird. I had such a good time watching this movie last night, man. <laughs> I am glad because I did not enjoy this movie. Oh man, I thought it was so cool and Cassie was watching it with me and she hated it and fell asleep at the end <laughs> and I was like, "How are you sleeping through this? How are you sleeping through the last third of this film? This is some of the most sublime filmmaking I've ever seen. How are you sleeping through this?" <laughs> oh my god i thought this movie was so cool <laughs> i'm so excited to hear why because this movie man you're talking there while you were given the summary about what's his name roy roy, roy yeah roy him he, he gets selected to be the representative of humanity and i was like well we're all fucked now because i mean yeah that's true he's not a good representative <laughs> for humanity at all <laughs> no no he's he not. is a poor choice by these aliens <laughs> but they talk yeah, through they, they, they talk through music standards. they got bad they got weird taste they talk through music what are they gonna do What's he going to do? Yeah, but he didn't talk through he music. He doesn't talk through he music. He had nothing to do with the music. He just stands there and looks like he's about to have a stroke 95% of the movie. I know. Oh, man. Dreyfus really knocked it out of the park. Anyway, so you uh, did not have a good time. Tell me some of the things that you did not like about this movie or your thoughts on it other than my tripping balls. <laughs> so here's the thing. It was surprising to me that as I was watching this, I went in going, oh, this is directed by Steven Spielberg. I expected something far more palatable than what we got. And it was very much a thing where, you know, Spielberg kind of has a reputation and he certainly is uh, enough of a filmmaker that he sometimes, you know, he does things that are outside of what you generally think of. Early in, you know, fairly early in his career, I didn't expect him to make something that was so, uh, you know, I watched this movie and I thought to myself, either Eden is going to think that this is nuts or they're going to freaking love it. I fucking loved it, man. Well, and that's the thing is it's a weird movie in that I can see it being so divisive because 
it, it re- like I say, for me, it felt like a fever dream. I'm like, what is like, this is nuts. This is just weird. Um, it is a, it is an incongruous movie for me in that there are moments where it wants to seem hopeful. And I mean, you've got the French dude, Lacombe, and you know, he's, he's so, he's kind of like the positive, oh, this is great. They're coming there. You know, they're, they're trying to communicate with us. Let's figure it out. And he's so excited about the music and, you know, there he is with his Zoltan Kodai, you know, hand signals, which I loved the fact that I knew who Zoltan Kodai was because of my wife. And I was going to uh, say teaching the Orf Schulwerk, you know, music stuff with little kids in the past. So yeah, when they pull out Kodai, I was like, yeah, freaking know who that is. But like, you've got him who's like, he comes across as this eternal optimist, but then man, there are some weird creepy things in this movie. Oh yeah. Very offsetting. And it's so it's, it's like, it's hopeful, but it's like super eerie, but it's like, uh, it, it, mm, it, it is in the hands of a lesser director. I would say, well, they just didn't know what they were going for, but I think Spielberg did. I think he knew what he was going for. And I think this, this discontinuity between these different aspects of the movie were very intentional. I could be wrong. No, I think that that's exactly it. I think that that's exactly it. Here's the thing that I think is important to remember about Steven Spielberg. That dude loves horror. He might not make movies that are horror, but he loves horror. And like, I see this movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I see in it the nucleus of two things that he would go on to either produce or make. This movie is the fever dream marriage of Poltergeist and E.T. Because you get okay. you get the feel of both of those movies in here. Like, there is the sensor, uh, like, but, but it doesn't have, this is E.T. without the childlike perspective. Because part of what makes E.T. Yeah. interesting is it's coming at it from a child's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is why, you know, you see that from a far low, like you see it from a lower angle angle, both, you know, literally because it's often from the kid's point of view, but also like metaphorically or rhetorically, you're looking at this from a childlike perspective. You see, you don't see E.T. as this potential, um, you know, threat, which all of the adults see him as, which is why the adults are trying to, you know, hunt him down. You see him as this like benign kind strange creature and that ultimately is what the aliens are here they're benign strange creatures when that creature comes out at the end and does the hand motions that that Lacombe does to him that's like what if they like took a picture of et and like threw vaseline over the the camera lens like it looks like et yeah so like does. ultimately these aliens are benign or benevolent in the way that, not benevolent, benign in the way that E.T. is. But there's also those moments where this is one of the, like, has just moments of absolute horror. Like, that scene, everything, the whole Barry subplot is a horror film stapled into this movie. Because, like, when you first see Barry, he's laying in bed, and all of a sudden, all of his toys burst to life. 
And it's really disconcerting yeah. and it's really Very off-putting. Much so. And so, and then also he's just like a, a weird alien looking kid. Like we've talked before. He looks more like the aliens than he does like a human. Yeah. We've talked before about how kid actors, sometimes this is what they do. Like the two girl actors in spirit of the beehive. We're like weird aliens, not like humans. Barry is the same way here. He's like an alien and not a human. And he, like, he goes out into the, to the kitchen and like the food is erupting forth from the, the, uh, refrigerator in a scene that's very reminiscent of like what you'll see in ghostbusters a few years later um or even scarier when they come back like a day or two later and they abduct him that is a genuinely Mm -hmm. terrifying like scene in that film Mm -hmm. it's real scary it is and again very reminiscent of uh poltergeist you've probably seen poltergeist right i have not because it was on listen it was on in the other room when I was very young and I had already been super traumatized by our father and the letting me watch the thing when I was far too young Oh hell yeah! to be watching the thing. And so, no. What was our I dad doing watching watch the thing? It had to have been the TV edit, but still that movie is scary. It was the TV edit, but it's still again, scary as hell, especially if you're a kid. Young me, it was terrifying. Yeah. And so, nope, that was it. That, that it. And I think that's one of the reasons I have this deep seated dislike of, of horror and things like that. That makes a lot of sense as a young child. Uh, no, look, it, look, we finished watching the thing and I'm climbing up the bunk bed to get on the top bunk because you're asleep in the bottom bunk <laughs> and dad pinches my butt. That is a classic like dad move. What an asshole. Quietly down the hall and then pinches my ass as I'm going up there. And j- like, I almost fell off the top of the freaking bunk bed. Yeah. It scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Cause I just finished watching the thing. So I got to go. say deep seated trauma being unearthed right here. Live on the pod. I got to say happy birthday, dad. That's a dick move. You don't listen to the podcast, so I can say that. That's a dick move. <laughs> it was such a – the number of times – and I think that – I think this mellowed as things went on. But again, me being the oldest, like he always was trying to scare me. I remember once there was a gap between my side of the bed and the wall, and he hid down in there until I was falling asleep and then jumped out from in between the wall and the bed. Jesus scared the crap out of me. And so ever <laughs> since then, my bed has to be all the way up against the wall. Right yeah. now it's not. As an adult, I finally got to the point where I got over that. But I had to have, I, <laughs> I could not have both sides of the bed uh, accessible because of things like that that he used to do to me. That's just not, that's not cool, dad. That's not cool. <laughs> so, so no, long answer to the question, have I ever seen Poltergeist? And the answer is no. Well, that makes sense, but um, it's really good. Uh, sorry that our dad had to fulfill the Philip Larkin poem, This Be the Verse, um, on you. Hopefully you were able to break the cycle of abuse for your children. <laughs> <laughs> I've startled them and stuff, but I have never good. like purposefully gunted them down to scare the crap out of them like that. Oh. Like the poem says, you just mess them up in your own way, different than the ways that That's you got true. messed up as a as a kid yourself. Um, yep. 
Very true. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I really like Poltergeist, and Poltergeist is like it's a PG rated film. It is not like gory or um, you know uh, bloody or any of that kind of stuff. But it's creepy. It's really really creepy, and that scene particularly really um, captures the feel of the movie Poltergeist. Um, and again, that is, it, there are rumors that Spielberg like ghost directed that movie and that it wasn't actually, um, Toby Hooper. I don't believe that it feels so in line with the other movies that Toby Hooper made, um, that I think that he probably just made it. Um, and Spielberg was just a producer, but still there's, I, I see in it a lot of the, uh, the, the guts of what we see here in Close Encounters. Um, what else did you think about this movie? Um, I thought that it, it was one of those things that the music was weird as well. It walked this, it did the same thing that the rest of the movie did, but there are times where the music is this classic, um, I want to say it was, the music was by John Williams. It is. So there are times where you've got that classic John Williams soaring sound. I mean, think, you know, the home alone crap or the Harry Potter crap, or, I mean, it doesn't feel super star Warsy to me, but I mean, but it has kind of those elements. And then there's other times where it is again, just really off putting and really creepy. And I thought it was interesting that I don't, and again, personally, perhaps a, a fault of my own, but I don't generally expect that kind of creepy stuff from John Williams because he has such a, a long history of kind of the more anthemic kind of, you know, yay, let's go out there kind of stuff. Sure. Um, that, that it, it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, see, I really, I really liked the soundtrack to this. It, you can tell that it is early Williams because of exactly what you're saying there, where like, um, it's not as treacly as later Williams gets, but also not as anthemic as, as your star Wars or your Superman. Uh, and, and I really appreciate that, that mode that he works in. However, I do have to say, I don't know which version. Uh, there's three versions of this movie. Which version of this movie did you watch? I am pretty sure I saw the, what is it? The 1990 something, uh, the quote, director's, director's version, which was not the, uh, the special with the, cause I did not have the interior of the ship. And I know that was a big, uh, a big beef that Spielberg had yes. with that second version that got released. Yes. He felt that that should not have, have happened that way. So I did not see that version. Okay. So you saw what is in theory Spielberg's favorite, favorite one. Uh, we actually theory, ended up watching yes. that special edition one. Cause I did not know what the difference was between director's cut and special edition. And the director's cut was 50 cents more to rent on Amazon. So I said, <laughs> I don't know. So I watched the special edition. So I did get to see the inside of the spaceship it was cool i understand why he cut it i bet it works really well with it cut um but also the effects work inside of it was extremely cool so if you want to see it look it up on the uh youtubes it's on there it is cool miniature work happening in that sequence um 
but at any rate, uh, yeah, I feel like one of the one of my biggest complaints with the way that we watched it, though, we rented it through Amazon, watched the special edition. It had some of the worst captions I've ever seen because it saw fit at the start of each like music piece to say John Williams, blah, 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 and then say the name of the song. And guess what the names of the songs are? Spoilers for whatever is happening in that scene. Really? So it says, now playing John Williams, false alarm. And you're like, false alarm? And then it's the scene where like, they're all partying thinking the aliens are gonna come back and it's just the helicopters. And I obviously Hmm. knew it was going to be a false alarm because it said, now playing John Williams, false alarm on the bottom. Or like there was another one that was like, now playing, escape. And it's like, oh, well, I guess they're going to escape from the government because it just spoiled what was going to happen by saying the name of the goddamn song. And like, why Hmm. did you do that, Amazon? Yeah, that definitely was not the case on uh, iTunes, which is where I, I watched it on. Um, I thought that the, because I'm an old man, I like having captions on because I like to catch every word that is said and not be left wondering, did I hear that right or not? Same. And so I had the captions on and it didn't do anything like that. Well, I'm glad to hear that for your sake. Yeah, no, that is really stupid of the captions on Amazon to be like that. But again, back to, back to the score that the motif that Williams created for it is so good. It like sits in your head so satisfyingly, I think. What do you think about it? Well, it's hard for me. I feel like it is hard for me to be objective about it because I did see this at a fairly young age. And so those, you know, what, five notes or so, that thing is like that is seared in my brain. I think it's uh, I've never seen it. I still knew the motif. So like I think yeah, that's seared I, I mean, in our entire like generation's brain. Oh, I think you're absolutely correct. Although I had one complaint about it. Do tell. It seemed like it sort of changed. It wasn't always the same five notes. It was the same pattern. But it, it was, was different like, tones. Yes, it was the same. It was different tones. It, it, yeah, it was the same like, you know, take this note, raise it by a, th- in that scene where he's like, raise it by a third, take it down to a tonic, yep. go lower it by an octave, take it up to a to a major fifth. And like, a fifth, the major fifth. Yeah. All that is still there no matter what key it's in. But like, they do change the key a few times. It's not the same tones every time. It is that motif sometimes moved from key to key. Um, but still it is threw my brain off just a little bit, but no, it is, it's it iconic is a, for a reason. absolutely iconic motif. No, no question about it whatsoever. Yeah. I, I don't know. I really, I had a very good time watching this movie last night, but I am not surprised that you didn't really like it. And I was not surprised that my uh, wife did not really like it. Um, <laughs> I do think uh, one of the things that I think is so interesting, though, and like that you can tell that this is again, this is more example of this being early Spielberg versus later Spielberg uh, and not even mid period Spielberg, but like early Spielberg is Roy just goes into space like mm-hmm. uh, you got three kids, bro. 
You're just going to go into space and not even tell your wife and kids that you're going on a spaceship? Like, what? And I think it's really interesting that, like, in an interview in the 2000s, Spielberg explicitly said, I made that movie when I was single and did not have any kids. And if I were to make it today, there is no world where Roy leaves his family to go on this. Like, I would not have made him as bad of a dad as I did. I would not have let him let his family fall apart the way that he let it happen. And he would not have left them. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a terrible father. And I think that, I, I think, again, this has come up many times on the podcast. In fiction, for me to connect to it, I need characters or at least a character who I like, who I feel like I can root for. And there was that was one of my hangups with this movie. There was not a single person in this movie that I was like, cool, I like you, except maybe Lacombe. I mean, he was probably the, the most, first of all, he's probably the most consistent character and he was probably the most, like, I don't know, hopeful, positive, like, you know, I did not like Roy at all. I mean, he's, he's a jackass and, and part of it I think is because he's had this experience and he's got this thing in his head and I'm sure it's an incredibly difficult thing because his wife, she just does not believe him, does not support, is not even interested in trying to understand where he's coming from. Yeah. But before all that, like the first scene with them, is this bizarre? I mean, he, he's there and he, they've got the model trains and he's trying to use the trains to explain fractions. And then in the background, you've got another kid who's in a playpen, but far too big to be in a playpen, literally just bashing a doll against the edge of the playpen as limbs fall off of the doll. And then the doll eventually gets, I can't remember if it's either decapitated or they get split in half at the waist. And then finally that kid gets like the whole thing. You look at it and you're like, this is a bizarre setting. Like he wasn't coming into it as a shining example of, uh, of fatherhood no. or, you know, even like being a, a good, uh, a good husband, a good partner, a good, you know, and, and his wife is, I mean, she's pretty quick to just like bash on him and like hate on him. And yeah. it's, oh, it, well, that you know, scene, like the scene, that scene where he's like breaking down in the shower and she's just like screaming at him and like, like smacking him and stuff. And it's like, this is not a healthy family. So it's probably good that she left. And maybe y'all can find some healing because this is not a healthy <laughs> family. This is not a good no, place to be. The and the kids like coming in and like yelling crybaby while their dad is like sobbing in the t- What was that about? Yeah. The kids sucked and that too. That was the exact scene I was thinking of because, you know, then he does, he gets out of the shower and he puts the robe on and then he's just, he's just asking his wife. He's like, just hold me. Please just hold me. I need you. Please just hold me. And she's just like, no, no. And she like shoves him away I'm and then like, locks herself in the bathroom. And it's just like. There's just like it it is the complete and utter breakdown of like the prototypical nuclear family and I don't know what exactly Spielberg was going for there but that's all I can see is like okay this is like the prototypical family they're married they got three kids they live in this nice-ish house in the suburbs but like it is all rancid it is all falling apart from the inside Oh yeah. And it seemed like it was that way before, like you said, before the aliens even came. Yeah. It's, 
again, just lots of weird things for me. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. Um, they, I think now I did not, I did not want to go back and try and verify this, but the, the amount of time over which this movie takes place isn't very clear. It's very nebulous. Yes. However, as I was watching it, I, I had to split it just because of life. I had to split it up over two nights. So as I was watching the second half or so of it Tuesday evening, I'm looking at Jillian and I'm going, I think her hair is a lot longer than it was in the very beginning. Yeah. And I wasn't sure. I'm like, is that, is that purposeful or not? And again, I'm giving Spielberg the benefit of the doubt going, I think that is supposed to be one of the things to try and help sub subtly convey to us that this has a significant amount of time has passed. This is not over the course of a few days. This is like been something that has been going on and, and that these people have been trying to figure out what is in their head for perhaps months now. Uh huh. Um, but it, but it's, Again, it was only as I was looking at, at the very end and I'm like, I think her hair's a lot longer than it was at the beginning that I went, okay, so more time than I originally thought has passed. But I mean, there are things where it's like, you know, something happens and then here it is. It seems like it's the very next day. But then if we follow our, you know, our, our French dude knows that then it seems like, well, but no, this can't just be a day in between these two things. Now it's, this is a lot more time, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell how much time sometimes. And that made it a little bit, uh, a little bit difficult for me. Um, yeah. It's a little, it's a little disorienting in that way. I, I do have to say I had to write down that I can't take the mashed potato scene seriously anymore. Thanks to weird Al Yankovic. Fair. But, uh, it, it's know. either that, it's either that or the similar scene in the Simpsons. It's hard for anyone to take that seriously because it has been, uh, well and truly, uh, memeified by, by parody at this point. Yeah. And then, uh, the, the final, I guess, kind of complaint I would have is the scale of the ships is weird. Also and nebulous. Times yes. is a little off. I mean, you've got the smaller ones, but then even when the big massive mothership is going over, it's like at one scene, it's coming over the top of Devil's Tower. And then in the next scene, it feels like it's way closer to the ground. And there were a few things in there that, again, just kind of threw me off where I'm like, I feel like you're trying to really make us feel like this thing's really big, but I'm not. It, 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 it's not consistent. The yeah. scale of this doesn't feel consistent. Yeah, because like... Sometimes it seems like it's as large as Manhattan, and sometimes it seems like it's, you know, not nearly that large. Yeah. I will say there were multiple times during this where I was like, man, I think we really take for granted the GPS and maps apps in our phone. Cassie and I were talking <laughs> as, as about Roy that. Was like, Oh my gosh. It's multiple bonkers. times, I mean, multiple don't... times when he is not watching where he's driving because he's busy looking at maps. And I'm just like, this is one of those movies that couldn't exist in a, uh, in a smartphone world. A, because everyone would have taken pictures of the aliens. So there wouldn't be any way for the government to deny that it happened. And B, right. poor guy got in like nearly like three or four wrecks just trying to drive because he can't read a map fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was just one of those things where I was like, wow, you know, maps, that's a, that's a, that's a thing. I mean, I'm old enough that I remember, 
I remember having the huge map book in the car that I, we used. Yeah, I remember that big old atlas and sitting shotgun with dad looking at this huge atlas of America as we were trying to drive their my our parents' motor home from Utah to California and me having to be like the navigator. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember feeling like, ooh, we're so advanced when we could go to MapQuest and print off the directions uh-huh. and then have a stack of like, you know, four or five papers telling you, turn on here and then take this exit and go here. And, and now it's just, you know, it's like I you throw it into the phone and then I don't even have to look at the phone because my watch taps and makes a noise when I have to turn right or left. It's, it was one just, it was one of these things you go, man, we take for granted some of our modern conveniences. I feel like we really do. We really, really do. Well, any final thoughts on close encounters? I thought this ruled. I had such a good time watching it. (laughs) And, And that final like scene is just like, you have to just give in to the astonishment of filmmaking as you're watching that final scene and let it wash over you as though you were one of those people sitting there seeing an alien mothership for the first time. And if you watch it like that, I think you have a really good time. But if you go in with a really critical eye and you don't give in to astonishment, I can see how you don't have as good of a time with this film. <laughs> like I say, I don't even know. I would never again, consider myself one of those people who has really high standards when it comes to movies and stuff. It was just, there was, there was enough things. I'm like, man, this is weird. And it was weird seeing the mom from a Christmas story and something other than a Christmas story. And just all these weird little things that I'm like, man, I watched this movie a long time ago and, uh, do not remember very much about it at all. Yeah, that's very fair, but it was, it was interesting. I'll, I'll put it that way. I did not dislike it. It's not one of these things where I watched and I was like, oh my gosh, when will this end? But it was very much like, wow, when this ends, I don't know what state my mind is going to be in because this movie is a trip. It really, really is. Shout outs to Francois Truffaut, who played um, Lacombe, one of the greatest French film directors of all time. Just got to give him a shout out. Uh, because he's a great director, and I just think it's funny that he was like, I will go be in my friend Steven's film. It will give me a chance to write the movie that I want to make next. And that's exactly what he did. <laughs> nice. Good for him. Good for, Good him. for him. Get that get that. that paycheck, Francois. Get that paycheck. Um, Heck yeah. Heck yeah. All right. And so I, have, I know we're at an hour, but I have a really funny um, exercise I want us to do very quickly um, to close okay. things out. To say... We're g- I'm going to go through the filmography of Steven Spielberg. You have to tell me yes or no if you've seen it, and then thumbs up or thumbs down whether or not you think it's an okay movie or not. Okay, I'm just going to warn you, you're going to be disappointed in me. Why? Because I haven't seen very many movies. I think you'll be surprised how many of Steven Spielberg's movies you have seen. Okay. All right, so first off. I'm ready. First off, Duel. I don't think either of us have probably seen this television film that was Steven Spielberg's first movie about a Mm-mm. car that tries to kill a person. <laughs> I, nope. I haven't seen it, but I'm intrigued by that premise. Um, <laughs> next, we have Sugarland Express. I have never seen it. Nope. Jaws. Nope. You've never seen Jaws? 
I told you you were going to be disappointed. Jaws is one of the I've greatest movies Jaws. ever made. It rules. I know. Two I've thumbs heard. up. I'm thumbs upping for you because Jaws is so good. Okay. Close Encounters. We both just saw that. Yep. I give it a thumbs up. I give it a... Thumb sideways. Uh, I'm not a thumbs down. Yes, thumb sideways. Because it's not a thumbs down, but it's not something that I'm like, ooh, I want to watch that again. I'm like, ooh, I watched that, and that was a thing. Fair. Uh, next up, we have 1941, the comedy nope. film about World War II. Thumb down. Do not like. Think it's bad. Haven't seen it. Uh, next up, we have Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. I'm a yes, too. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, big thumbs up. I love that movie, I think, f- way more than you do. I think that movie is fantastic. I'll give it a thumbs up. Uh, next up, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Yes, I've seen it. Yes, it's a thumbs up. Yep, I would agree. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes, seen it, and I'm going to give it a thumb sideways. I'm giving it a thumb straight down to hell, where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> the Color Purple. Okay, fair. Nope. Seen it. Thumbs up. Incredible. Whoopi Goldberg. Just killing it in that movie. Uh, Empire of the Sun. Have not seen it. Mm, nope. Me either. Young Christian Bale, apparently. Uh, Always. Mm-hmm. starring, Also starring Dreyfus. John Goodman. Yes. Holly Hunter. Yes. I've seen it, and I remember watching it at our Nana and Gramps' house, and I do not remember anything other than I know that I've seen it. I feel the same way. I have no memory of this movie other than I know that aircraft are involved. Yep, I was just going to say, something about an airplane. Yeah, so can't say. Seen it? Don't know. Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Seen it. Thumbs up. Yeah, seen it. Thumbs up, agree. Hook. Yeah, seen it. Thumb sideways. Mm, if I'm being generous. Yeah. That's that's me that's me remembering that the food looked cool when I was a kid and it was just like neon <laughs> slop. And see that's me thinking okay, that's me remembering or thinking at the time that that was when Julia Roberts was really famous and I remember thinking that she was pretty. She Tinkerbell. she is pretty as Tinkerbell. That wig is not doing her any service though. No. It's a bad nope, wig. None whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Top Thumbs five up. movies Huge. of all time. Haven't watched it in forever, but cannot deny its greatness nor its impact. Holds up. If you watch it, you'll be like, damn, how did these look? How does this look better than every movie I've seen that came out since 2005? Because yeah. it does. It's incredible. Uh, Schindler's List. Seen it? I obligatory thumbs up even though i never want to see that movie again and and i honestly don't remember if i have seen all of it so it's extremely sad uh the lost world jurassic park thumb down sorry cannot yeah thumbs thumbs down cannot strike the same lightning doesn't strike twice apparently lost world jurassic park bad amistad i have seen it I think that it is a very treacly anti-slavery film. I'll give it a thumb sideways. Don't think I've seen it. Thumb sideways. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Also, like Schindler's List, obligatory thumbs up, I guess. If you want some real greatest generation wank, it's about as good as it gets. Haven't seen it. Uh, AI, artificial intelligence. Haven't seen it. 
two thumbs directly into the stratosphere. This movie is so good, and people erroneously think that it is not good. AI Artificial Intelligence is an incredible film because of the ways that Spielberg takes what would have been an extremely cold and an extremely antiseptic Kubrick film and gave it the Spielberg shine and made it have pathos and warmth and sadness in a way that Kubrick could only dream of. And I think that it is better than most movies Kubrick ever made. And I know that that is heretical to say, but I think that Artificial Intelligence is a better movie than Kubrick would have made and is better than most of the movies Kubrick did make. It's good. Minority Report. Yeah, seen it. Thumb up. It's pretty good. Thumb up. It is pretty dang good. The cars are very cool in that movie. (laughs) The cars (laughs) and like the weird um, like energy blast shotgun that like spins around to reload itself. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Catch me if you can. I have seen it. I remember thinking it was okay at the time, but whatever. I enjoyed it. Um, So I'll give it a thumbs up, Um, but I don't remember a lot about it and never really felt like I needed to watch it again, but I enjoyed it. Okay. The terminal. Yeah, I saw it. I'll give it a thumb sideways. Treakly thumb sideways. Treacle. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's too saccharine for me. Yes. Uh, War of the Worlds. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> Here's the thing. I remember thinking it wasn't very good when I saw it when it came out. I rewatched it a few years ago. The movie's actually pretty damn good. Okay. It's pretty. I believe it. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, Munich. I, I believe that. Didn't see it. Seen it. Thumbs up. Real cool. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> Sadly, I've seen it. That is a hard thumbs down. I have seen it. I don't remember anything about it other than the Russians were the baddies this time, I think. Uh, I just remember thinking, oh, good Lord, this movie's bad. It, it was real bad. Um, next up, we have The Adventures of Tintin. Nope, never saw it. Real good. Surprisingly good. Wish they had made the sequel. I was I was I was initially extremely put off by the idea of a computer generated Tintin movie because Tintin to me needs to be that Linclair like uh, French comic style and this is not that mm. but uh, I think that Tintin is pretty good and I wish they'd made the sequel Warhorse nope haven't seen it looked boring Lincoln nope haven't seen it don't care about Abraham Lincoln Bridge of Spies nope too many tom hanks movies on this list thumb sideways mm-hmm. <laughs> he he works with tom hanks too much the bfg didn't even know this movie existed uh, because my kids really liked the roll doll book i am pretty sure i have seen it i don't know if i've seen it all the way start to finish or if i've only cut parts of it Fair. i know i've seen parts of it at least but i don't remember I, like I say, I did not even remember that this movie existed. Um, the post about the Washington nope. post thumbs down. <laughs> Boring. The More Washington Tom post Hanks, isn't it? Another, I think another Tom Hanks. Yes. Tom Hanks and, Tom Meryl Hanks Streep, and Meryl Streep both Streep. wasted. Yeah. Uh, ready player one. Yeah. I saw it. I'll maybe give it a thumb sideways. I will never 
I tried to read that book and it made me more mad than almost any book <laughs> I've ever read because it was the worst thing in the world. And it had been re- like recommended to me by so many people who were like, this is like so good and it's doing such interesting things. And I thought it was the most abhorrent garbage I'd ever tried to force myself through. And so I will not see the movie. I do not care that it has the Gundam fighting Mechagodzilla. That is not enough. That is not enough. <laughs> it's not great. Um, it, it was, so I, I read the book. Um, I would like to say that I've never recommended anyone else read the book. So, you know, I, that gives me at least some cred, right? A hundred percent. You know, I read it because I, I like science fiction. I was like, sure, I'll read it. And it was a quick, easy read. And it was, I mean, it's interesting that it was as popular as it was because I remember reading the book and thinking, well, I mean, that's a fine, like bathroom book. Like that's as good as it gets. It's like, yeah, sure. If I was taking a dump and I didn't have my phone and that book was there, would I read it? You betcha. <laughs> I would absolutely read ready player one. If I was on the can and I didn't have my phone with me, hundred percent, uh, the movie, it's about the same thing too. It's like if I was trapped in a room and I could watch nothing or I could watch ready player one, 50% of the time I'd pick ready player one. Well, there you go. But that's about as good as it gets that a glowing endorsement. Yep. Uh, two more to go. Uh, there is his remake of West side story. Nope. Did not see it. I have not seen it. Probably should. I think West side story is one of my favorite musicals. I think that movie I don't slaps like musicals. I don't like musicals either. Like, let's be perfectly honest. It, Nine times out of 10, if it is watch nothing or watch a musical, I will choose the bliss of silence. Oh yeah, me too. There are very few exceptions to that. And the original West Side Story is one of those ones that maybe five times out of 10, I'd be like, yeah, you can start that up. So maybe his remake okay. is good. And then lastly, sure. The Fablemans, which got him his Academy Award nomination, which he deservedly yeah. lost. Definitely haven't seen that. Me neither. I've heard it's good though, but I've also heard it's pretty wanky because it's just like, huh, well, here's a, it's incredibly self Yeah. Here's, here's a slightly fictionalized version of how I became a director. So yeah. like, also there's no world where I buy Paul Dano as a parent of a 15 or 20 year old child. <laughs> Cause they have to start when he's little and then he grows up, but they just yeah. use the same parents, Michelle Williams and Paul Dano. And do you know who is not a convincing parent of a 16 year old Paul Dano? Mm-hmm. Okay. I cannot believe it anyway. Yeah. So it sounds like we are maybe more down on Spielberg than the average, uh, movie going public, but he's got some bangers in there. He does. No question. Jurassic Park is one of the best movies literally ever made. So, yeah. And for me, and again, it could be the the time when I saw it at a very young age. I honestly, I think I could probably put Raiders in my top 15 to 20 movies of all time. Personally. That's fair. It's fair. I remember I have not seen any of those since crystal skull came out and I was so disenchanted by it. I was like, I think I'm done with Indiana Jones forever. And I haven't seen one since. That's fair. Maybe that'll change when we'll see what the, uh, what, what the press and my friends attitudes are like, uh, once this new one comes out, looks pretty bad, but we'll see. Yeah, it does. Anyway, uh, that's our show for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, Go watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's real weird. 
<laughs> it is real weird. If you I haven't seen it, you should, agree. you should 100% see it if you haven't seen it. Um, if you have any... Well, and I think that it's... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's important enough of a movie in terms of... Uh, I mean, it's it has a significant cultural impact that, yeah, I think everybody ought to like... You know, you ought to know about it. You ought to see it at least once. You know what's wild, though? It cost nearly double what Star Wars costs to make. Wow. Right? Crazy. That, this cost $19 million and Star Wars cost 10 Wow. Wild. Anyway, uh, if you have any comments you'd like to send us, you can contact us at feedback at themiddleofculture.com, um, or you can leave us a review on your podcast, podcast platform of choice. Uh, and until next time, uh, take a look up at the sky and see if you see any weird moving lights. It's true. And, and listen for five notes. 